Thank you for being here this morning, everybody. Hey, um, if it's your first time here, we appreciate your time here this morning. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, if you're tired of Nathan, Thomas will be back up here next week, all right? But um, this morning, if you were here a couple months ago, um, then you've heard this story, the beginning of this story before. But if not, um, I've got a story for you this morning. Uh, it was a couple years ago. We were in uh, Hawaii celebrating my sister's wedding. She had gotten married down there. And we had stayed next door to this house um, that we had gotten to know the neighbors over the week that we were there. And the neighbors invited us into their house one night. And I'm standing here talking to this guy named Al, and I'm looking at him, and I'm just going, well, that's weird. The guy I'm talking to is in these pictures on the wall with all these U.S. presidents. And so here's Al with, like, his arm around Ronald Reagan, and uh, they're smiling. And then there's one with him and um, the Bushes, and then there's one with him and the Obamas and the Clintons and one with Jimmy Carter. And I'm sitting here going, who are you? And he finally, he finally shared with us that he was recently retired uh, Secret Service security detail for the last five or six U.S. presidents. And, and, of course, the whole time he's telling me this, I'm just thinking, I've got this question that I really, really want to ask. But then this voice kept popping up in my brain that comes up in all of our brains that says, that's a stupid question. Don't ask that question. And then the voice of my mom and my dad and every teacher that I've ever had came into my brain. And it said, Nathan, there are no stupid questions. <laughs> so that gave me all the courage I needed to ask this question. And I said, Al. And I just thought I'd be funny and try to make a connection with them. I said, Al, you've, you have very literally walked next to presidents who are Republicans and you've walked next to presidents who were Democrat. Have you ever had a week where they made a decision in the Oval Office that just went against like all the values that you voted for and all that? Have they ever made that kind of decision and you just couldn't contain yourself and knowing all those secret service like, you know, security moves? Did you ever just like throw a patriotic elbow just on behalf of America? And I'm smiling and he's just like, No. And suddenly I realized my mom and my dad and every teacher I've ever had, they were wrong. <laughs> there are stupid questions, and I just found one of them. But I will never forget what Al said in response to that question. He said, Nathan, it's not about me. It's not about me. And I thought, well, that's, that was really noble. And then I thought, what a waste of your position, Al. I mean, come on, and, and I, I just thought that, that pretty much sums up where we're all at. Um, when it comes to the power that we've been given in life, um, and specifically as we've talked these last few weeks, um, authority and influence, we all have and we're all subject to those kinds of power. But when it comes to those kinds of powers, oftentimes we don't think it's not about me. We think it's all about me. And so today, as we close the By the Book series, and as we talk about the power that we've been given in this life, um, a few weeks ago, we got, we got a perspective on that power from the life of John the Baptist. And then last week, we got a filter for that kind of power in our lives from the life of Peter. But this morning, this morning, I want us to see a picture of what you do with that kind of power straight out of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning, if you have your Bibles but this is a picture that I think has got to stay with us. It's got to stick with us. What does it look like 
to wield that kind of power, that kind of authority, that kind of influence. Now, here's what's going on. As you come into John chapter 13, it is, it is the night before Jesus is going to go to the cross. And as he, he's got all this stuff going through his mind, and another gospel writer, another guy who wrote an account of Jesus' life, Luke, he, he tells us, he gives us this detail that here it is the night before Jesus is going to go to the cross, and the disciples are arguing with each other. And they're having the same argument that they've had a number of times before. And that argument is this. Which of us will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to sit on the right and who's going to sit on the left of Jesus when we get to heaven? And Jesus, he's watching all this going on. And he does what we read in John chapter 13. And it's something that we all need to see and we all need to carry with us. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 13 Verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them, look at this, look at this phrase, the full extent of his love. So I want you to imagine something for a minute. It is the last night of your life here on earth, and all your loved ones are gathered around. And you want to show them the full extent of your love. I mean, what would that look like? It would probably be bigger than anything you've ever done. And that's what Jesus, that, that's what's on his mind right now. It says he wants to show them the full extent of his love. The evening meal, verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put, what are those next two words? All things. What are they? All things under his power. I mean, you want to talk about authority? Here it is. I mean, we all have titles and positions, but nobody has authority like this. This is God-given authority, all things under his power. And then it goes on, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So you've got this culmination of all the power, all the authority Jesus has been given, a desire in his heart to show the full extent of his love to his loved ones on the last night of his life. That's what's going on here. And then there's this next word, so. So. And it's easy to breeze by this word, but so. You know what so means? So means that after all the power and all the authority that we see Jesus has, and his desire to show the full extent of his love. That's what is going to, out of that is going to flow what comes next. So means that after all he's done, walking on water, feeding 5,000 people, the miracles, healing people, shutting down the religious authorities. This, what he does next is the full extent of his love. And, and you're thinking, you got to be thinking in your mind, well this is going to be bigger than anything we've seen. I mean, he's going to breathe fire, his eyes are going to glow, he's going to like start floating. You know, it's going to be crazy. But so, more than anything, you know what that means? That for every single person in this room, no matter what level of authority you have, formal or informal, it means pay attention. Because here's what the one who had all authority did with his power. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal and set aside his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
Now, for all the differences between our culture and that culture, what, here's something that's really, it's the same. How do we know that somebody has authority in our culture, oftentimes? How do you know? It's by what they wear. Yeah. And so here's Jesus. He, he has set aside his outer clothing. This is his symbol of rabbinic authority. This, Jesus, is how people know who you are, and you're taking it off to wrap a towel around your waist? What did a towel around the waist mean? He was a servant. Oh, okay, wait a second. So you have all power and all authority, and you're going to wrap a towel around your waist? This is, this is a doctor removing his lab coat and taking off his stethoscope to put a towel around his waist. This is a judge setting down the gavel and removing his robe to put a towel around his waist. This is a police officer removing his badge and his uniform to put a towel around his waist. Except this was God setting aside his rights and his privileges to take on the posture of a servant. And I read that and I just think, could I do that? I mean, whatever title that I depend on for power, whatever degree I have, whatever initials come after my name on a business card, if I had business cards, could I set that aside and take on the posture of a servant? And don't miss what's happening here, because I think for those of you familiar with this story, it's easy to go right by this part of the story to what we know Jesus does next. But don't miss what he does here. He set aside his glory. He set aside his rights, his privileges, but his glory to put a towel around his waist. There was, there was a story in the news this week. I mean, there was a big one in the news this week, right? But on the homepage of CNN, the homepage of CNN was this story. Okay, and it was buried under all the election coverage. But over in Iraq, this shepherd... A shepherd by the name of Shakar Mahmoud, 45 years old, makes his living as a shepherd. And he's got this flock. He's got this flock of sheep that really isn't too far from where there's fighting between Iraqi forces and ISIS. And it's getting closer and closer to him. And so he decided he needed to take this escape route and take his flock down this escape route. And he gets to this Kurdish checkpoint. And at this Kurdish checkpoint, they asked him, uh, well, they told him, you can go through, but there's a problem with your sheep. They, they somehow determined that your sheep are Arab sheep. And, and he's just looking at them, and he's in disbelief. And they said, you can go, but the sheep, they stay. And on the other side of this checkpoint is this guy's family. It's a safer life. There's more security, more opportunity for him. And do you know what he answered? He said, that's okay. I'm going to stay for my sheep. I thought, oh my goodness, who does that? Well, Jesus does that. Jesus set aside his glory to be with his sheep. And so with that in mind, what he does next gets even more powerful. Look, look at verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now we look at this and we think, oh, big deal. But it is a big deal, especially back then. 
to take this posture, this was something that in a Jewish household, a Jewish slave wouldn't even do. If a, if a guest showed up and a Jewish slave tried to clean the feet of the guest, they would stop the Jewish slave and find someone else to do it. It was such a menial task, or if it was done, it was, it was an act of extreme devotion, like from a child to a parent, from a spouse to their spouse, from a student to a teacher. And so what we see here on Jesus' behalf is, is such a menial task, but it's an act of extreme devotion. And if you and I were standing there, we'd be thinking, no, 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 Jesus, we should be doing that for you. After all you've done, after all we've seen you do, the disciples got to be thinking, we should be washing your feet. And Peter actually puts words to it. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And he's stunned. He's absolutely stunned. The original language says he actually, the disciples were stunned. And I read this and this was so convicting to me because I thought, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if the people who live in my house and around my house, I wonder if they're stunned by my humility. I wonder if the people that we work with, that we go to school with, if they're stunned by our humility. Or I wonder, I wonder if the people we get into political discussions with, in light of this last week, are they stunned by our humility as we have those conversations? And it's so convicting. And then what comes next? <laughs> Jesus replied. I mean, they're, they're in total disbelief. And Jesus replied, verse 7, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. This is that parent moment. Remember when your parents used to say this to you? You don't understand why you got to eat your veggies now, but later you will understand. You don't understand why you have to go to school now, but later you will understand. You don't understand why you have to be nice to your siblings now, but later you will understand. And Jesus is saying, after you go through some experiences, which he had in mind, obviously, you will understand. And then this whole thing starts to take a turn. And it suddenly becomes not just a physical act of serving someone in humility, but it takes on a deeper significance. Look at verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And at first that sounds humble enough, doesn't it? And yet Peter, what he may not realize at this moment is that he's making a statement. That Jesus, thank you very much, but I can do this myself. I can depend on me. You don't need to do that for me. You will never do that for me. And Jesus replied. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I read that and I go, unless, unless Jesus washes him, he has no part of him? Like, can Peter not wash his own feet by himself? But Jesus is referring to a different kind of cleansing. Jesus is talking about the cleansing of the heart. That's that cleansing that comes that when you believe in Jesus and his work on the cross, your heart is cleansed. That's what he's getting at. And Peter, in response, says, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands, and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Now, confession time. 
this is one of those verses in the Bible that I don't really want to show my kids because this is their idea of bathing right here. All right? Like, even last night, I said, hey, bath time. And they were like, what? Again? We had one last year, you know? And I just went, bath time now. But imagine, imagine if there was a bath that you took that cleansed you. And you only needed that one bath, that one cleansing. And Jesus goes on. Verse 11, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And he's referring to Judas here. And at this point, the disciples got to be thinking, Judas didn't take a bath before he came to dinner. But what he's getting at again is this, this is a cleansing of the heart. This physical act represents something. And this is the point where I want to talk to two groups of people in this room specifically right now. Okay, one group are those of you that maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, and that's all right, but maybe the reason that you've held off from becoming a Christian and following Jesus is because you've heard or you've seen or you've thought that after you decide to follow Jesus, he's going to hold you to this, to this perfect standard where you've got to be clean all the time. And the other group of you, are Christians been in the exact same place that I've spent a lot, a lot of time in, where you think God is mad at you because you've got dirt in your life. And I'd encourage you to look at this passage because right here, you know what you see? You see God's perspective on the dirt in our lives. He's not mad at you. He says, look, when, when you give your life to me, you receive a, a, its grace. It's grace that cleanses you at the core. But then you also see understanding. Jesus knows that even after, even after we start a relationship with him, as we walk through this world, we're going to gather dust. We're going to get dirty. And he's not mad at you for it. He says, no, I'm here to clean it off your feet. What a perspective. See, not only, not only, did he set aside his glory? He set aside his glory to wash us with his grace. He set aside his glory to wash us with his grace. One of my favorite story, pictures of this, and you may have heard this story before. There's a, there's a guy that um, he's watching these TV ads and he sees, he sees a commercial for Rolls Royce cars. And they're advertised as the car that will never, ever, 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 ever break down. So the guy goes out, he buys a Rolls Royce, and he's out driving it. He's, he's um, in another state, and he's out driving the Rolls Royce, and suddenly the car that's never, ever supposed to break down, it breaks down. So he calls up Rolls Royce, and he says, hey, uh, your car that's never supposed to break down, well, it broke down, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. So they fly a mechanic out to him on a helicopter. The mechanic lands, and he fixes the car and, and goes back. So this guy goes on his way, and it's a couple months later, and he realizes well, I never got a bill. I never got an invoice from Rolls-Royce. So he calls up Rolls-Royce and he says, look, I just want to make this right. I want, to, I want to settle everything. And the voice on the other end of the phone said, no, we're sorry, sir, but we have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your car. <laughs> Think of it, that the God of the universe would look at your life 
And he'd say, I have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your life. You are fixed. You are clean. All because Jesus set aside his glory to wash us with his grace. And then, and then Jesus drives the point home. And he drives it home not just to his disciples, but to us as well. And what you're about to see, he says, look, this isn't just, this isn't just a, a picture of what it looks like to serve somebody with humility. That's part of it. And this isn't just a picture of what I did on a much broader timeline and scope of your life by, by setting aside the glory of heaven and living there and coming here. But this is a picture of what you are to do. Look at the next verse. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet... He put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? And the answer would be no, Jesus, because you just told us we don't understand. But verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And he builds on this. Verse 15, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What has he done for you? He set aside his glory to wash us with his grace. Or, or maybe another way to say it is he set aside what felt good for our good. And you want to know what you do when you look around at the authority that you have and the power you've been given? Well, you do what the one who had all power and all authority did with his you set aside what feels good for their good. That's what you do. And you want to know why you do that? Because your Lord and your teacher did that. I mean, what if we walked through this week with that perspective in mind? What if as we engage going forward, and there are bound to be many more, different political discussions about our country, what if that was our perspective? To set aside what would feel so good, right? to give them what they deserve or make them see our way, what if we set that aside to show them what's for their good, to give them a perspective of how their heavenly Father sees them? You set aside what feels good for their good. And in doing so, not only do you meet a physical need, but you show them a picture of their Savior, of the good news of their Savior, that he set aside his glory, he set aside what felt so good to wash us with his grace for our good. Now, you, you look at all that and you just go, man, Jesus, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? And, and as you keep reading this, I, I think the thing that jumps out to me is what he says next. Verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. And then he says something so interesting. I mean, they knew the servant and master part. But look what he says. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Well, Jesus, why'd you pull messenger out of the air? Well, because Jesus is thinking ahead. And Jesus sees ahead. I mean, think about it. He knows he's going to go to the cross, and he knows he's going to rise from the dead. And he knows that everybody who had seen them walking around with him, they were suddenly going to flock to these guys and suddenly, whatever authority they have now is just going to explode. And they're going to have tons of authority and tons of influence. He's saying, guys, 
you are going to be like superstars. You are going to be just huge. Everybody's going to be running to you because you were with me. And so you need to remember this example. When they come to you, you set aside what feels good for their good. You know why? Because you are going to be a messenger. And this message requires a servant to spread it. Wow. Now, I read that and I think, <laughs> I'd be the disciple in the room that would be going, well, that's great, Jesus, but what's in it for us? What's in it for us? And, and for those of you who think, well, what's in it for me? Because sometimes it's not about me doesn't feel very good, does it? But for those of you who are wondering what's in it for me, guess what? Jesus says there's something in this. Verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let me ask you something. Do you want to be blessed? Yes, duh, Nathan. We all want to be blessed, okay? But do you really want to be blessed? I mean, do you want to get to the end of this life and look back on your life and go, I was so blessed. Well, you know what you do? You set aside what feels good for their good. Whoever God puts in your path, no matter how high up the ladder you go, no matter what level of authority you have, you follow the model of your master. And in doing so, you will show those around you their savior. Let me just tell you about maybe the most blessed man I've met in a long time, and then we'll get out of here. About eight months ago, this guy came by the church office here, a guy named Sam. And Sam, uh, homeless, and um, his family was living in a house, but Sam was living in his truck. And Sam showed up, and we were able to help Sam out through Power of One money about eight months ago. And um, I didn't see Sam for a while. And I thought, okay, well, maybe he moved. Maybe he, you know, he just went somewhere else. It could have been anything. And then uh, about two months ago, Sam showed up again at the office door. And he was giving me an update. And honestly, life really didn't get much better for Sam. I mean, things got tougher and tougher and tougher. And then this last week, middle of the week, Sam shows up. And uh, he says, Brother Nathan, I got to show you the praise, the praise here. I thought, Brother Nathan? Like, last time I got called that, it was from my sister, and it was not a good thing. It was like, my brother, Nathan. But he said, Brother Nathan, I got to tell you something. So we took a walk around the church here, and, and he's telling me that, you know, he's just been going everywhere in his truck, and he's been living in his truck. And, and he, he knew that the shocks were in bad shape. And so someone else in his life got a hold of him, and they said, Sam, take your truck to this car dealership in town. And Sam's thinking, a car dealership? That's the last place I would take my truck to be repaired because it's just probably the most expensive. And, and so Sam, he's got no money. He's barely got food. And he's living in his truck. And he goes to this car dealership. And they take the truck in. And they meet him in the waiting room after a couple hours. And they say, Sam, can we talk to you about your truck? And he said, yeah, yeah. And, he, and they said, do you know what's wrong with your truck? And he's like, yeah, I just need shocks. And they said, well, that's, that's item number one of four pages of issues with his truck. And he showed me these four pages. And, and it totaled almost $4,000 in repairs. And this is a guy who's trying to just find food. And they said, well, we need to keep looking at it. And we're not done yet. And so Sam sat in that waiting room all day long, a couple weeks ago. 
And at 5 p.m. that day, somebody walked out and they said, here's your keys. Truck's fixed. And Sam said, well, I mean, how do I drive off the lot without paying for it? And they said, it's covered. And I thought, there it is. That's what Jesus does for us. That's grace. But the most incredible part of this whole story was actually what Sam did next. We're talking on Wednesday. And Sam said, well, Brother Nathan, I got to go because I got to go help my friend pull a stump out of his yard. I was like, oh, did you find some work to make some money? He said, no, he, he can't pay me. But it doesn't matter because I know what my Savior did for me. I thought, what a perspective. What a picture. Uh, do you remember what our country was thinking about on Wednesday? <laughs> a president. And yet Sam was focused on his master. That's what happens when you set aside what feels good for their good. That's what you do with power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, All I can say is thank you every single time we do this. Thank you for your example. I mean, we got the perspective from the life of John the Baptist to joyfully point at you. And we got a filter from Peter that if you're the authority of our heart, you'll influence the priorities of our lives. But today, a picture from your life of setting aside your glory to wash us with your grace. So Lord, give us Whatever level of power we have, show us, Lord. Keep written on our hearts that while we may not be able to change the level of authority we have, we can gain so much influence when we set aside what feels good for the good of the person in front of us. And in humbly serving them, we're not just carrying out a physical act, but we are carrying out, we are showing a picture to the people we serve a picture of you and what you did for all of us. And so, Lord, write that on our hearts as we close out this series. Write on our hearts that you have now given your power to us and you've given us a picture for how to use it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. And please don't forget to join us for the Bronco Lunch afterward. Have a great week.